Nintendo. of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz, as we talk Hawkeye football with you, Iowa fresh off a victory against Kent State, Colorado State on tap. One more time for a tune-up tune up Biz before Big Ten play starts again with Maryland and, of course, Penn State. How you doing? Doing good, Trent. You know, I'm not sure we learned much of anything from that Iowa win last week other than, you know, we, we are what we, we thought we are, I guess, the we're uh, a very good defense, a very good special teams, and uh, an offense that's definitely still a work in progress. But, uh, you know, in general, I thought it was a good win against a, a pretty good team. Kent State was not a bad football team. They're not. They can move the football, hit a couple of plays. Riley Mossy certainly won. Maybe two of those were his fault. He gave it up, and it was uh, funny listening to them just say, yeah, Phil Parker says sometimes he just guesses, and Guessed wrong on a couple of those uh, early in the football game. But overall, I like that quarterback. I thought the Crum kid was pretty good. You can see why at least he's on the radar for the NFL and maybe would be a late-round draft pick. He's got some skill. He can move around. He's got a strong enough arm. But overall, it's more about Iowa certainly here. The defense, once again, though, really shuts things down, closing it up, and making the play on the goal line there, getting the fumble recovery. That thing could have got a little hairy if Kent State would have punched it in. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it felt like one of those. Uh, you know, you and I have been in Kinnick plenty of times, and those games have uh, gotten that bad vibe to them. And it certainly felt like uh, that vibe was coming. Think, fortunately, uh, we made the play when we needed to, and then from that point on, we we uh, kind of asserted our dominance down the stretch. But you know, I'm not saying the quarterback is better than than Penix or Purdy, but he certainly played better than those two. I mean, right. I, I just thought Kent State. You know, they were very fundamentally sound. They tackled well. Obviously, our strategy was to, to get the ball out in space and, and get the ball out of Petrus's hands quickly, and, and I just thought they did a nice job of tackling. They, they made very few mistakes. You know, well-coached team. You know, th- those are the kind of games, if, if you're going to have cupcakes, you know, uh, it's good to play against teams like that that at least uh, are fundamentally sound and give you a challenge. Uh, unlike uh, Iowa State's cupcake on their schedule, UNLV was – the opposite of all those things. So I'd rather have that challenge than uh, just be handed a, a free victory where you learn absolutely nothing. Learned a little something about the team and Spencer Petrus. There were some strides there. I think most importantly was one of the last throws of the day that he had on a little hitch and go as he went up top to Nico Rogani, a big gainer. Just have to see more than that because the Spencer Petrus we've seen dating back to last season, it's nine straight victories. That's all well and good, but He's going to have to still be better in my mind to beat Penn State, to go on the road and beat Wisconsin. They need more from him than what we've seen to this point. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair, but I also thought he played well on Saturday. I think we're kind of, uh, I think we've gotten to a point where it's just trendy to pile on Spencer Petrus, and he's kind of the uh, the program whipping boy right now. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to complain about him completing whatever he did, 70, 75% of his passes and, and – having zero turnovers, then, then you're probably going to complain every game because he, he's never going to be – I mean, he, he is what he is at this point, Trent. I mean, he's a guy that like we've talked about in the past. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's going to make two or three great passes a game, and he's going to make two or three passes that uh, look like you or me throwing the football. So uh, it's never going to be perfect. But, you know, I agree. I mean, he's got to play better if we're going to realistically be 12-0 and or 11-1. and 
But I also don't think he's that far off. I thought he played a pretty good game in general on Saturday. Running game got going. Goodson looked very solid. Now it was pretty outman front overall for Kent State. Not a real big defensive line in front with that 3-3-5 stack that they run. But I really, the running game, it comes down to Ivory Kelly Martin. Guy that we both are really rooting for, but put it on the ground two more times. Lost a fumble in the game. Looks like they're going to go back with him, but you have to imagine that leash has got to be incredibly, incredibly thin right now just because Gavin Williams, LaShawn Williams, both those guys at least have enough to be the backup here. If Kelly Martin puts it on the turf again, I don't know how you can play him in a big spot going forward. Yeah, this feels like kind of the uh, the last chance. And, you know, I think as you saw, I don't know if you read the articles, there's a couple different articles out about him the last couple of days. And, you know, they all kind of say the same thing. He, he's obviously somebody that the coaching staff, he, he's earned the coaching staff's trust. His teammates like him. He's been in the program forever. You know, if anybody deserves a little longer leash, it's probably him. He, he's done everything they've asked him to do for for five years. But I think you're right. This is probably the last straw. If, if, if he uh, can't hold on to the ball now, it's probably time to move on. With that, wide receivers still remain a concern. You know, we put a lot on Peters here. And before uh, we cap off what we saw, Torrey Taylor, he was outstanding again. Though the fake punt, what did God's name? Kirk called it dumb, I think, six times in like five seconds earlier in the week during his press conference here. I just don't get the rationale. You know, I think I think Kirk actually laid out the rationale in the middle of his, his rant. He, he <laughs> hinted in there in the middle that it was to put it on tape. I, I think – it's honestly to, to let people realize that, hey, we've still got some some trick plays out there. And, you know, that's the only rationale I can think of. Is it a good rationale? No. But other than that, there's no – I mean, I, I'm trying to give the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt in thinking why they did it because there really is no good reason, especially because the game was still in doubt at that point. It was 23-7. to 7. You know, early in the fourth, it was not a not a blowout by any means. So, um, I, I don't get it, but that's the only rationale I can think of is that they wanted to put a uh, you know some trickeration on tape so that people going forward at least have to uh, look into it and maybe you know maybe they're thinking people are going to start you know trying to block, you know, put a little more pressure on some of Tory Taylor's punts, and this will maybe slow them down a little bit. I don't know. That's it didn't make any sense to be honest with you. It really didn't, but. Special teams, excellent once again, and that's what's going to be the uh, certainly the calling card of this football team going forward, just how they good are on that front. All right, Biz, uh, mentioned wide receivers. You want to go to Stat Boy? He's got some info for us this week and the worries about that position. Well, we actually, Trent, when you're going from cupcake number one to cupcake number two, you got to be a little creative on what to talk about in the podcast. You know, when you're talking about the week before Iowa State or even the week after Iowa State, there's plenty for us to chat about. But, uh, you know, when you're going between Kent State and Colorado State, you got to be a little creative. So uh, I gave Stat Boy not one, not two, but but three assignments. Oh, wow. So heavy Stat Boy this week. So first one, before we get into the wide receiver, this one's a short and quick one. But you mentioned the nine-game winning streak. Real simple question for you, Trent. How many times in Iowa history? Has Iowa football had uh, double-digit winning streaks? Double-digit winning streaks. Well, of course, 2015, that one uh, jumps off. That's the freebie, yes. 2002, no, had the winning streak. Try to think, 2004 leading into 2005. 
No, because I think they lost early on that season in 05, so I'm going to say that's a no. I'm going to say it's happened three times. Well, your, your, your random guess is, is a spot-on correct. <laughs> so uh, you got the one correct, 2015. Um, the end of the 08 year, when we got rolling with Sean right. Green, and then early into 09, we won 13 straight, which that, that is the most that Iowa's ever had in the, in the modern era because the third time, Trent, you got to go back a full century. From 1920 to 1923, Iowa football was an absolute juggernaut. Howard Jones. Straight. 20 straight with uh, the Duke, Duke Slater-led squad in 21, and in 22 we went undefeated. And uh, some things never changed, Trent, because that team or those teams leaned heavily on the defense. You ready to hear how many points they gave up in the game, those 20 games? I'm going to guess this is going to be pretty dominant in a different era of football. Yeah, well, uh, you know, this is kind of like I think you and I both listen to the solid verbal occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's, when they, it's when they read the drive chart and they go through it. Well, this is the uh, – the points chart for these 20 wins, 0, 7, 10, 14, 7, 2, 6, 7, 0, 0, 0, 0, 7, 0, 14, 9, 3, 0, 3, and 0. So that was the, the original steel curtain back then. They, they, uh, they gave up less than 100 points total in those 20 games. Not too bad. Sign up for that again this season. We also had our annual whooping boy. of We played Knox College each year, Trent, and we, we, we whooped up on them pretty good. Most of the scores in that era were, you know, if you scored 21 points, you were running it up on teams. But not against Knox. We beat them 52-14, to 61 to nothing, and 44-3. So, so some, some, some good stat boy info to tell you that only once, basically, in the last hundred years, or twice in the last hundred years, have we won ten games in a row. So, assuming we don't stub our foot or, or shoot ourselves in the foot and stub our toe uh, this Saturday, this should be the fourth time. Should do that. Iowa currently a twenty-three point favorite against the Rams from Colorado State. Uh, speaking of that, Stat Boy went to work on some Mountain West. What's going on here with Colorado State coming to town? Well, Mountain West, that, that's the third assignment oh, okay. for Stat Boy. The, the second one was your wide receiver question. Uh-huh. So uh, we'll, we'll dig into that because, you know, Trent, you can never be – you and I can never be 100% positive about the Hawks. No. We've always got to have a little concern. Last, last week my concern was that Tyler Goodson wasn't, uh, wasn't running very well, and, and he, uh, he alleviated those concerns last week. So, so this week I'll turn the concerns to wide receivers. So you ready to, uh, you ready to chat wide receivers? I got concerns there. I'd like to hear what Stat Boy dug up. Well, what I told him was that at this point, three games into the year, a quarter of the season in, we're not on pace to have any wide receivers catch more than 300 yards. Reganey has 75 yards receiving, and, and that's after his 50-yard catch. Tracy has 70 yards receiving. Chuck Jones has 38, and Jackson Ritter is fourth at 17 yards receiving. So unless we crank it up a notch – we're looking at some all-time lows when it comes to receiving yards, or at least in the, the Hayden-Ferentz modern era. But you want to take a guess how many times in the Hayden and, Hayden and Kirk eras that we've had a receiver go for less than 400 yards as our, as our top receiver? Well, uh, we talked about 81. Some of those numbers were pretty hideous. Uh, let's say three times. Once. Only once have we not had a receiver hit the 400-yard mark. That was 2013 Cavante Martin-Manley 
got to 388 yards. So in, at the pace we're going right now, we're looking at historically low in the modern era. So, um, But in true stat boy fashion, he went past the modern era trend. And we've talked about this in the past. And these, this, is, this is a great, uh, great trip down memory lane here. This, you want to remember some unbelievable statistics on how inept our passing game was in the 70s? I can't wait for this, and I know, I know your dad's on the edge of his seat, too. This is pretty glorious, Trent. So the four years before Hayden took over, 1975 to 1978, we're going to focus on those four years because they are just some mind-boggling numbers. 1975, our leading receiver that year had eight catches. Eight. <laughs> our quarterbacks that year, Trent, we had a couple of them, went back and forth between two quarterbacks. These are their season stats, 33 for 125. So they completed 26% of their passes, three touchdowns, 10 picks, and threw for less than 600 yards. So uh, not good. Stat boy looked it up. We, we were running the wing tee then, and, and we, were, we were about the only team still doing it. And, and the, the rationale for doing it was that we, we figured no one else was doing it, so it would be confusing. We were the last team to hold out and run the wing tee. So 1976. The completion percentage goes up a little bit, but across the board, mind-bogglingly bad stats again. This, the reception leader jumps from eight the year before to 12. So somebody caught 12 passes, so at least more than one a game. But C for 163, five touchdowns, 14 picks. Oh, my God. Yeah. 77 it was really a breakout year for the offense. 77 is kind of the outlier here. They did have someone catch 26 passes. Quarterbacks threw for slightly over 50%, 100 for 197, but still a brutal touchdown-to-interception ratio of 6 to 16. But then when, when you start thinking, well, maybe we're turning things in the right direction. Nope, Trent, 1978, historically bad again. Leading receiver had 14 catches. We tried out four different quarterbacks that year. Those quarterbacks went a total of 84 for 210, three touchdowns, 17 interceptions on the year. I can win many games doing that. No. So when you add it up, Trent, the four years total, we have a four-year total of 17 passing touchdowns, 57 interceptions, and 39% completion. Well, Bob Cummings, not exactly a superstar. Yeah. So the two things you take out of this, Trent, like, like we said before, things could be a whole lot worse than Spencer Petras, and thank God for Hayden Fry for bringing us into – you know, not only respectability, but into the modern era of football. So, uh, so when we talk wide receivers, Trent, things could get worse, but uh, they need to get better. We saw a lot of Arlen Bruce. We saw Keegan Johnson out there. We saw those guys on the field more hopeful that those guys can add an extra element here. And more than anything, Johnson, a big receiver. Jackson Ritter, I don't hate the guy. Just I want to see more of the youngsters. Well, my biggest worry, I mean, obviously – Two of the three games I've seen him live and in person, and you get a much better view of the field than on TV. And it's not like Spencer Petras is, is missing people that are just running wide open. Mm -hmm. We're just not getting a lot of separation. I mean, that's the other thing with Spencer Petras. You can be critical all you want, but uh, you know, it's not like last year when he was overthrowing wide open guys. This year, you know, there hasn't been a ton of opportunities, and, and you know, I just worry maybe you know. 
we, we took for granted how good Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith were because sure. I don't see we I don't think we have that guy to take the top off the defense and. I don't think there's a lot of uh, fear in secondaries right now with our wide receivers. That's fair to say, and we will see what more can be unleashed. I've seen some guys running open, but schematically, you, you kind of go back. It's not goddamn Greg Davis. We're not to GD, GD anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. I like that one. GD, GD. Yeah, oh. that's, uh, that, that was one of the monikers of Greg Davis. And I, we're not there yet, but frustration levels continue to mount even with the team ranked fifth in the country. All right, one more from Statboy. So the part three of the Statboy trifecta, we're playing obviously Colorado State this week, which is a rarity trend. We don't play the Mountain West all that often. We play the MAC a lot, we, we, but uh, the Mountain West is a rarity. Over the years, our record against the Mountain West is 9-1-1, one, and, one, and that includes bowl games. Mm-hmm. We've only – this will – We've never played Colorado State. We've played five current members of the Mountain West. Can you name the five members that we've played over the years? Four of them I think you should be able to get. Yes, we played Wyoming, Josh Allen, a few years back. That's one. Played Utah State when Clinton Solomon had a ridiculous catch early in his career before he left and came back. That's two. Boise, no. New Mexico, no. Air Force, not in recent history. San Diego, Fresno, Nevada. Nevada's on the schedule in the future. Nevada's next year, I think. Yeah. Not yet. Oh, of course, Hawaii. Hawaii four times, and we'll get into that in a minute. So that's the third. There's one more. Trend. I'll give you a hint. One more you should be able to get because it was a bowl game victory. A bowl game victory against a current member of the Mountain Oh, San Diego State Holiday Bowl, of course. Yep, San Diego State Holiday Bowl. So the fifth one, you said the name, and you were correct. You haven't played them in the modern era, but we did play Air Force mm-hmm. way back in 1958. Okay. So, and that was the tie. We tied Air Force 13-13. The other nine, the wins, we beat Hawaii three times. Uh, we beat Wyoming three times, once back in the 50s. We beat Utah State twice, once back in the 50s. And then the last second uh, field goal win against uh, against uh, San Diego State. So there's the nine wins. Do you remember the one loss? Hawaii. At Hawaii. At Hawaii. Into it. Jason nice. Elam with the field goal to win it, the uh, longtime NFL kicker. That's a pretty good Hawaii team, actually. Damn it, Trent. That was my quiz question for you. <laughs> I, I beat you to it. I beat you to it. God. So 1988, yeah, we lose 27-24. Jason Elam was with the game winner, but we actually drove down the field and had a chance to tie 44-yard field goal short with 21 seconds left. Didn't didn't have the distance to get there from 44. So the, uh, we, were, we were ranked ninth going into that year, and mm-hmm. uh, it was the beginning of one of the more frustrating years in Iowa football because uh, that was a 6-4-3 year. So. The, uh, if I remember correctly, for us up in North Iowa, that game was not – I'm sure it was a late game. I don't remember exactly what time. But I want to say it was on replay at like 11 o'clock. I just remember I had it on tape. I had it on a VCR, and we taped it, watched it the next day, whatever it was. So I remember, but I want to say like KIMT played it at like 11 o'clock at night, something like that. Even could have been live out there. You never know. But remember getting up, excited. Of course, I was going to win. They're going to beat Hawaii because I'm nine years old, and that's what they always do against craft teams like this. And then watching that bloodbath. It was ugly. There were some officiating gaffes, if I remember correctly, as well. There was, uh, from what I could see, there was a, apparently a, a a holding, non-holding call that cost us late in the game. Okay. We drove down 
inside the 15-yard line, threw a touchdown to win the game, and uh, it was a kind of a delayed flag that uh, was very controversial, apparently. It wasn't, it wasn't until the catch was made that they decided, oh, by the way, there was a holding. So, yeah, but uh, don't, don't let it get to the last 30 seconds against Hawaii when you're ranked ninth in the nation, and you don't have to deal with that, I guess. But hopefully you burn that tape afterwards. I don't think it made the move with me. I don't think it, uh, it went very far. So there's Mountain West. It's Colorado State this week. And with that, Biz, are you ready to make some picks for this week? I am. I'm, I'm continuing to roll. I think I'm like what six two and one on the year now. Is that what it is? Six two and one. You went. Uh, did you go two and one or three and zero oh last week? Two. I went three and zero oh week one, and then I went uh, the rare one one and one, and I went two and one last week. All right. So you're you're making money for us. All right. That's good. So six two and one overall. I think you this went season. two and one as well, didn't you? I had a winning week. I'm over five hundred. I'm five and four against the number. Fifty-five percent biz professionals. They would sign up for fifty-five percent. That's how you make money. Well, we've got plenty of time to regress back to the mean here, Trent. Very true. Let's start with Iowa. They are favored by twenty-three against Colorado State. Biz, I'm going back to the well again. This Colorado State team. We talked about it last week. They're much worse than Kent State. They can't throw the football. They have one guy that can catch the ball. It's a tight end who is very good himself, but their quarterback stinks. Their defense isn't very good. I think this one is one where we do see that downfield passing game. Now, I'm looking at something in the range of 41-7, 44-3. I think this is just an absolute throttling. Well, you know the old uh, saying, Trent, good teams win, great teams cover. Yeah. Uh, we found a way to cover last week. We're 3-0 and on the year, so I'm there with you. I'm going to ride the waves. Give me Iowa minus 23. I agree with you. I think Colorado State's bad. I honestly think they're going to struggle to – put up any points against this. I just, they're, they're, they're very stubborn. They, they, they like, they like to run the ball. And I just don't see them running the ball well against this. Their quarterback's bad. They've got a good tight end and, and not much else. So uh, yeah, I can see it actually being pretty similar to last week as far as slow start, but I think uh, something similar. So you know, I see something like 31 to three. So g- give me minus 23 and uh, we'll ride the wave. Try to go back-to-back with us both taking the Hawks against the number. From that, we go to the big national game of the week we're looking at. It is 11 o'clock kickoff on Big Fox, Wisconsin against Notre Dame. It'll be in in Soldier Field. Did your father-in-law get tickets with this, with his Bears tickets? Uh, not that I know of. He, he uh, He's a diehard Bears fan, but he's pretty clueless when it comes to college football. So my, <laughs> my guess is no, but... Uh, yeah, we've been. Uh, did you go to both Soldier Field games against against uh, NIU? Yeah, yeah. One of them, I uh, showed up on my own, had a long walk to get to Soldier Field, but yeah, yeah, had a good time there. So the rumor is we may be going back to Soldier Field in a couple of years. Did you see? Uh, yes. With North with Northwestern getting an insane donation from uh, the Ryan family, they're going to have to shut the field down for a year or two. And uh, the rumor is they may use Soldier Field. So. Uh, Maybe a reason to go back and watch the Hawks in the in the spaceship. That wouldn't be bad. I'd uh, enjoy that one. And if it's not the spaceship, maybe it'd be Wrigley Field. They played there what against Illinois a few years back, so it'll be a different experience. And uh, it's got to be better in Ryan Field. That place stinks. Let's go to Soldier though for this one. Notre Dame getting six and the hook. This is an easy one for me. I know people are starting to get scared off that line moving back towards a touchdown. Wisconsin's just a lot better football team. In fact, if they had Jack Cohn. They would beat Penn State in week one. But Notre Dame, offensive line stinks. Their left tackle, they're down to their third teamer. Their defensive line isn't very good. And it's Notre Dame. That's usually their strength here. Wisconsin, 
better defensively, better offensive line, not better at quarterback, but still a better football team. They win at 28-17. I'll lay the points with the Badgers. Well, Trent, this is one of our first uh, disagrees of the year. I, I, I Give me Notre Dame plus six and a half. I, I, I've got kind of the opposite thinking here. I'm just not sure Wisconsin's as good as everybody pretends they are. I, I, I'm not sold on Graham Mertz at all. And on the flip side, the one thing Notre Dame has done the last couple of years, what Brian Kelly has done, other than, other than against Alabama, they're competitive against everybody. They've given Clemson some scares. They're, uh, I think Wisconsin wins this game. I agree with you. I think Wisconsin's the better team, but I'm not sure Wisconsin right now is in any sort of uh, mindset to be, be beating top five or top ten teams by more than a touchdown. So uh, if you're going to give me six and a half and what I think is going to be a tight game, I'll, I'll take the points and, and hope Notre Dame can uh, somehow keep it together and lose by, by four instead of, instead of seven or more. That's what you're shooting for. All right. I don't feel, I will say kind of like last week, same thing I said about Auburn and Penn Mm -hmm. State. uh, I don't feel overly confident about this. And and honestly, I got lucky on the Penn State side last week. So let's hope to get lucky again this week. Let's uh, go to the pick of the week. Our best bet for the week. The one we like most biz, you lead this one off. Well, this is a, a, Pick that I think I jumped on last year, and I'll jump back on the train this year. Uh, give me the Arkansas Razorbacks plus six. Uh, I saw that Sam Pittman is some ridiculous, like 77% against the spread since he became a head coach. Plus, our, our number one fan, Arkansas Alley, I like to, to throw her a bone at least once a year. So, uh, woo pig suey. Give me, give me the Razorbacks. I'm not sure Texas A&M is all that good. I think Arkansas crowd's going to be uh, – lit for this game and fired up. Arkansas may not win, but I think they will keep it very close. Biz guard calling the hogs. All right, I'm going to make a call down to the bell, the cowbells, Mississippi State and Stark Vegas brings in LSU. Remember a year ago, that's how the season kicked off. It was in Baton Rouge, and it was an ugly defensive performance out of LSU. Feels like maybe there, there's a conversation, this is going to be payback for LSU. I'm not buying it. That defense still isn't very good. Beating what Central Michigan doesn't do a whole lot here. Mississippi State they got screwed last last week in that loss to Memphis, a ball that was downed and then it picks it up for Memphis and runs it back for a touchdown. I just think Mississippi State's the better team. I'm getting a free two and a half. Sign me up, Bulldogs plus the two in the hook. You're talking yourself in circles here, Trent. Two weeks ago you picked NC State against Mississippi State. You said they weren't any good. Now you're uh, now, now you're you're feeling good that they can take on. Uh, LSU and, and come away with victory, huh? That's where we're going. Well, I watched that game because I had a bet on it. Mississippi State, they're the better team. Better than I anticipated. Leach's boys, they're going to get it done here. I, I feel like in general, but never once have I bet on a Mike Leach team and felt good about it. You just never know what you're going to get with Mike Leach. Very true. That guy is a weird, weird duck. All right, Biz, before we get out of here each and every week, we always finish up with Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for business beat of the day. Okay, here's business beat of the day. Sadly, Trent, business beat is a, is a retread of a couple weeks ago, and I, I'd like to recant my, uh, my, a, my compliment to the Iowa marketing department. As I told you a few weeks ago, they did one of the first uh, new and original things that they've done in forever in, in putting on the uh, Freddie Mercury chant. Well, uh, they decided apparently that, that they didn't like when the crowd likes chants because they didn't do it on Saturday. And down the stretch, 
it was just painful in Kinnick. End of the third quarter, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, third quarter ends, so you got three and a half minutes of break there. First play in, Ethan Herkett gets hurt. They go to another break. Two plays later, Kent State punts, so they go to another break. So you were talking 20, 30 seconds of gameplay that took 20 minutes of time. And it was like the marketing department had just decided they were out of ideas. They didn't do a single thing during that time. <laughs> so it was 80, hot, and uh, just listening to uh, advertisements for the uh, Case IH Red Zone. So uh, it was, you know, I, I recant my, my uh, compliment to them from two weeks ago. I'm hoping somebody in the department amazingly listens to our podcast and realizes, wait, remember that thing we did that was good? But let's do it again. So. I'm not holding my breath that they will, but uh, let's uh, let's hope maybe somebody's listening. Let's hope that's the case. Oh, one more biz before we get out of here. You uh, said that I had to watch the 86 Mets documentary. I already had it on the DVR. I flew through all four. Boy, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you didn't watch it with your kids in the area. No, Lenny Dykstra is not suitable for children. That's very true. That's the you team know, you grew up rooting for. Exactly. Well, the thing is, I've, I've read, you know, the Jeff Perlman book and mm-hmm. a few other things in there, but I had forgotten just how great the celebration was when they made it to the playoffs. That, that was my favorite part of the whole documentary was that literally they just let 20,000 people run out on the field and just destroy Shea Stadium. I mean, they just were taking huge chunks of the turf. People were trying to dig up home plate. Somebody's running around screaming that he stole Keith Hernandez's hat. I mean, that was a different era, Trent. And uh, can you imagine now if one guy tries to get on the field, he is instantly beaten. So uh, back then it was mostly encouraged. Yeah, you want to go out there and uh, steal third base, go for it. Different world, more fun world. I am sure about that. Biz, good stuff. We will do it again next week and get ready. It'll be a short week with Maryland on tap on Friday. Go Hawks.